It's episode 11 of the Streets of Avalon re-release. We are seven stretch goals in as of this recording, which means for the $10 PDF, well, you're gonna get a lot. The eighth stretch goal, which we're already quite close to, is another adventure by Brett B. of Gaming and BS and Avalon Creator, The Blacksmith's Folly. So click on the link in the post notes if you want to get in on all the dark citywide urban fantasy action, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash streetsofavalon. Now, before we get to the play, let's put forth another preview for you folks. Regions within the city. Well over 50 miles across at its widest point and some 40 miles long, Avalon is the largest city in the known world. The stone walls that enclose the city are 10 feet thick and over 20 feet high. These walls are constantly patrolled by the city guard, the Griffins, and the three gates, east, west, and north gates, are also well guarded. Everyone entering the city pays a silver Oleg fee, with all traffic being recorded by a member of the Merchant's Consortium, which in turn presents the books to the magistrates at the end of the month. This happens every month. As it grew from the central hub, now known as the Central Bazaar, the city separated into four main sections, the Noble District to the north, the Dockward to the south, and the Eastern and Western garrisons. The Central Bazaar, while not an official section of the city, is usually referred to as the Seat of Commerce. Sidebar example. Oftentimes, the boundaries of these districts are wonderful places for adventures to be set, as they're sort of a crossroads between natives of the city and outlanders. The Iron Wheel, a neighborhood inn, lies on the border of the western garrison and the southern dockward. This location allows for all sorts of travelers and locals to meet and mingle, increasing opportunities for role-playing and for the GM to plant some adventure hooks. Noble District, North. The Noble District is the wealthiest, with the strictest enforcement of laws and the least amount of petty crime. This section of the city drips with the opulence and decadence allowed only by the comfortably rich, or those straining to maintain their place within their lofty social circle. The roofways and alleys prevalent in the other districts are lacking here, as every attempt to shut out the less desirable aspects of life in Avalon is made by the magistrates and their peers in their home neighborhood. Well tended, or at least maintained as carefully as possible, cobblestone streets and walkways dominate, with plenty of space for two horse-drawn carriages to pass and not endanger pedestrians. Homes here are manor houses, occupying at least two to three times the space allotted for any commoner in other districts. Occupying at least two to three times the space allotted for any commoner in other city districts. These estates are usually walled, gated, and guarded by house troops and bribed griffins. Within these walled areas, visitors find many signs of wealth and privilege. Gardens of various sizes and styles, private wells, carriage houses, stables, servants' quarters, and sometimes a small pen for the slaughter of fresh livestock. The more elaborate the layout of the manor, the wealthier and more powerful the owner is, or attempts to seem. That's all for this installment. Next week we'll talk about more of the districts. And now on to the next episode, and if you've backed the Kickstarter, I thank you. And if you have or haven't, please tell your friends, enemies, those monsters that you might know, any rogues that you tend to associate with, or, you know, the ones that you don't talk about, and everyone in between about the streets of Avalon. Last time on the streets of Avalon, our rogues returned to the Iron Wheel to find Allison's younger sister and brother looking for her. Maris delivered the bad news to the family, and then they went and started a conversation with the lamplighter. Let's find out what the lamplighter has to say to our rogues. Welcome to the Streets of Avalon, played by the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and presented by Misdirected Mark Productions, in conjunction with Gaming and BS, She's a Super Geek, and the Knights of the Night. Now for the introductions of our GM, the players, and the characters. 
Uh, Brett B. from Gaming NBS. I am the Dungeon Master. Hi there, this is Kevin Lovecraft. I'm playing a bard in this 5e campaign, Maris Solanus. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the GMs and editors of Knights of the Night Actual Play Podcast. I am uh, playing a druid character, Nora Maginis, also known as Grandmother. I'm Emily from She's a Super Geek. I make up about one half of it, technically. I am playing a ranger, Fionn McFinnegan. And my name is Chris Nizak, and I am one of the hosts and, uh, I guess, the architect of Misdirected Mark Productions. I am playing a character called Vassar Vim. I am a rogue who lives on the hard streets of Avalon, and I turn the microphone over to Brett B. The head swivels in your direction, no eyes again. You may ask. You don't know which one of you it's speaking to. I'm actually a step or two behind Vassar, simply because he's dealt with these before, so I was giving him deference to continue. It still has that appearance, Grandma, as if it's looking perhaps over to- over Vassar's shoulder, like this, ignore that one, I'm going to talk to the Elder. Your description makes sense, though. We have the mouth of Erlig, and we need to dispose of it. And we were wondering if you could tell us how. You want, you want to dispose, dispose of it how? You want to dispose of it forever? Dispose of it for now? Or do you, you want, want to make, make money, money off of it? it? It is something that is powerful and we believe dangerous. Oh, it is incredibly dangerous. It is one of the most dangerous things you could ever have in a fine. We don't wish it to fall into hands that would misuse it. And it seems in this city that is all the hands that are here. So it is our belief that it would be best to destroy it if possible. Well, if such a artifact were to be even able to be destroyed, if that little gateway were to be permanently shut and sealed, you would need the hammer and the anvil of Odin to do such a thing. Oh, that seems fitting. Well, I mean, that can't be that hard to get, right? I mean, we just go back to the guy in the black market. I turn my head ever so slowly to glare at Fionn over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then I look back at the lamp letter and I say, so where in the gods' names can we find the hammer and the anvil of Odin? Well, the uh, best place to start would probably be with a certain lady who you sold, as the Hammerites possess those artifacts. <sighs> oh, Criff. I told you we shouldn't have sold her. I do the same thing I just did before, turning my head and glaring at Fionn. Okay, well, we know who we sold Violet to. Yes, yes we do. Thank you, Lamplighter. We appreciate your taking the time. That is all you need? You have more. Don't we need to know how to use those things? Yeah, probably. Let's wait, uh, okay. Why, do you have a question, Morris? No, I was thinking it might be self-evident how we use those things, potentially. I mean, I'm just saying taking care of your resources, but go ahead. The Hammerites will probably not be too pleased with you. You did take their high priestess and sell her. What? Violet was the high priestess? One of them. <sighs> How many high priestesses does one cult have? A few. Mm, can we get a name on credit? <laughs> The other option, of course, as you could simply give it away to the right to the right person, of course. Oh, well, 
that's worth some candles just to find out who the right person is. Or are you going to be all cryptic? Which is fairly direct. The liché were guiding in this direction. Were you to take it to Ergon himself beneath the city, he would be able to keep it and maintain it. Wait, let's roll that back. Roll that back. You're saying Ergon's alive? alive? Yeah, he's still alive? It's not just Ergon's chamber or whatever? Ergon still exists. Isn't the city like over a thousand years old? Oh, it's very old. Is he undead? Dang. Yeah. He doesn't live as you do. Oh, okay. Uh, well, neither do the undead, so... Bergon is also an avid foe of the Illithid. Oh. oh, well, that's good. So are we. <laughs> I don't know about avid. More like scared foe of the Illithid. Fear of the Mind Flayers is a logical thing based on what it is they're trying to accomplish. And they seek to use the box to do that. What are they trying to accomplish? Vassar, ask them. What, the Hammerites? No, the the Mind Flayers. Well, we know what they're trying to accomplish, Fionn. Oh, we do? Yeah, they want to make the world dark so they can take over the world. They're not big fans of the sunlight. Oh, oh, oh right, I forgot. All right, well, now we have some options at least. Uh, Lamplighter, thank you very much for your time. The Lamplighter turns directly to Fionn and speaks. The rest of you do not see or hear any of this. So this is simply Fion to Lamplighter. I understand, child, that you wish to be an adult. Yeah? Are you certain that you are on the correct path? I am on the path set out for me by the village elders. It is the way all in the village become adults. But you are not in the village. No. Do you require or wish further guidance? Yes, I was taught to seek guidance uh, at every point possible when you don't know what you're doing. That's why they sent Grandma with me. Well, actually, she they sent me with her. Do you still possess the pearl? The mind player's eye? Yes, I think so. If you were to attune it, it would guide you on your path. How does one attune that? I'm not exactly a magic user. The easiest way, it points a finger at you. At your left eye would be to remove that orb and replace it. What? How would one even do that safely? I can do this for you. You just have to do a small thing for me. What would I have to do? You would need to take the box and take it to Ergon and make sure that it keeps it. Even if my party here wills it the other way? An adult does what is right and not what others will. If it is what is right, why do you not tell the rest of them? Because it is your decision and your path. It is not theirs. I'm not sure what to say. I I always make decisions under counsel. Maris? Yes. The lamplighter speaks speaks to you. No one else hears. Do you, do you wish, wish vengeance? Or do you wish reparations? reparations? What is your goal? Reparations for who? Clarify. Do you want a permanent solution? Or do you simply want to satiate a childish desire for blood. Okay, well, first of all, this is no childish desire for blood. This is well-earned payback for misdeeds. I can take care of that. Permanently setting thing right. I don't know. I'm just telling you that every story I've ever told anyone where some magical creature offers to make things right, it doesn't turn out okay for everyone. It gets twisted or turned. Why in the world should I trust you? Can I pass on both? I can ensure that the children and the mother will survive. I can ensure that she is cared for and looked after by me. Ha <laughs> ha. Pass. 
Very well. <laughs> Nora? Yes. Do you Do wish to know where your son is? I know where my son is. Do you know? My son has gone where I have told him to go. I don't need you to tell me that. When you see your son again, what will you tell him? I will welcome him back to the village, because that's where I will see him. Very well. Vassar. Yeah? You do realize that nothing will go back to where it was. It's not safe anymore. Everything has to change for you. It certainly does. What about your mother? Well, I plan on convincing her to uh, sell the iron wheel and move to Fionn and Nora's village. I mean, I've already had this thought. Do you think she will? I don't know. But I can't make her do anything. I will do the best that I can to get her to do that. Would you like me to make it so? I mean, I don't want her to not have a choice. So you want her to choose? Yes. And if she chooses the dangerous option? Then it looks like me and her stay here and I probably get killed. And that's okay with you. I love my mom. I don't want to see her hurt. I don't really want to die, but I don't really see a choice in the matter if that's what the way she goes with things. Very well. What about you? I mean, maybe you could help? Well, I can definitely help. I'm already helping a great deal. Fionn? Yes. Why do you want to destroy the box? Who's making you do this? Are you doing this of your own? Or are others making you do it? Well, I saw the destruction the box can do. Surely the world would be better off without it. Even this miserable city would be better off without such an evil thing. Very good. You passed. You're well on your way. All right. So that is done. Vassar, out loud, any other questions? Or anybody else any other questions? I got nothing. Nothing? Any other questions for the lighter? Yes, I have a question. Mm-hmm. This Chamber of Ergon. Yes. How might we find it? Reaches into his cloak and pulls out a map and hands it to you, Morris. Fold it open or unscroll it and look at it by the... Did he light the lamp yet? Absolutely, yes. So by the lamplight, you can see that you have a very crude, you're not quite sure what kind of leather this is, you prefer to think it's not human, map, I shouldn't say crude, but you have a map of a section beneath Avalon itself. If you're reading all the symbolism and such correctly, you would have to go back to Chelly's place into his basement through his sewer entrance would probably be the most expeditious way. There's a couple other entrances marked, but you're unsure as to where they are. Or the safety of them. Thank you. One more question. You pointed the bag. Pull a candle out by its wick, not touching the tallow. Hand it to it. Greedily devours it. Your, Your question? question? Teeth full of wax. Yes. What do we need to be aware of when we go into this area? Are the mind flayers active there? The illithid know it exists. Are they there already? They are not. Great. They will be. Because they're following us. They're not necessarily following you, but they are trying to follow you, if you get my meaning. Yes, we're aware that they're trying to use divination to follow us. I look back over at everyone else and go, guys, huddle up. Do we want to ask if there's some way we can obscure divination so that they can't scry us or however it is they're finding us? That was my next question, yes. Subtly, Fionn reaches into her pocket to grasp the pearl, but she doesn't say anything. Points at Fionn and says, You have exactly the right tool. All, All we, we need, need to do... Points at your left eye. Wait, was that to everybody? Nope, that was just to Fionn. No one else saw that. My apologies, my apologies. I was just in Fionn, like, right there. So you would do this before we take the box down? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now. Would it hurt? Not for long. Well, that's true of every pain. Exactly. It will be sharp, it will be instantaneous, but it will pass quickly. This is only your left eye. Well, man's eye cannot touch, man's hand cannot see, man's tongue cannot conceive. Fionn will look at the group, if she can. I'm not sure how this works, if it's like a paused moment of time. You're the first person to do this, right? So you kind of, you turn to look at the rest of the group and they are just staring at the lamplighter. Right. And you, you can't tell if they can hear you or see you. No one else seems to notice anything. So it has the the feeling of that frozen moment. As long as the others know that you're not trying to attack me, because you would probably hurt them if they were attempting to defend me. They won't even notice until you show them. Once it is attuned, what can I do with this, Pearl? You'll know. Yes. Excellent. Bang. Fionn feel it is a sharp, very intrusive pain. Yeah! Like I took an exacto and drove it through your cornea. Oh. It goes in, quick twist to the left, quick twist to the right. There's a sound of, like, spaghetti being yanked out of your skull. Then there's a grinding sound and feel of... Basically, if you were to take a piece of gravel and rub it on cement, there's that grinding sound and feel. And then it settles. The tears well up. You can't... The pain is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly bad. You're going to take three points of damage just from the impact and so forth. Once you're done, though, you stand up. Everyone is everyone is turned and looking at you now. Fionn stands up. Her hands are over her face. She picks up her head. Grandmother, she turns, looks to you. She pulls her hands down. She has blood pouring off of the left side of her face, like out of her eye socket. And she has that illithid eyes pearl wedged in her eye hole. And uh, the the lamplighter is now devouring her eyeball. What in the nine hells? Oh. Uh, Grandmother takes a step towards the lamplighter, but then turns back to Fionn and rushes over to her, uh, taking out her medicine bag. The lamplighter finishes the eyeball, looks at Vassar and Mars, and says, Uh, I will fall to my knees because of the pain. And I'm just sobbing. I'm glowering at the lamplighter, but I'm digging through, uh, looking for a healing pulse. Something to help with her uh, eye and the pain. Easily done. You reach into the pack, pull out the uh, the usual poultice that you would give to somebody with a, uh, a quick stab wound, or somebody falls on a spike or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Kind of mush the salve into the affected area, and uh, feeling the pain subsides, it's like a Novocaine feel. It becomes numb around the eye socket, and uh, so that goes away. Thank you, Grandmother. Staring daggers at the lamplighter. The lamplighter's head turns towards Grandmother, and uh, it says to you, Not looking at Grandmother, looking at the ground, I'll just whisper, yes. Fionn, you have monocular vision out of both sides of your head, so you start to get a bit of a migraine coming up behind you a little bit. Wait, you mean like... So yeah, one eye hunting and one eye fishing, right? So one eye is your your right eye is looking perfectly fine. The left right. eye is not tracking. Right. So it is a it is a very in focus lazy eye, if you will, and it's very odd. You feel like you're a chameleon, if you will, how they yes. the eyes kind of jerk and twist. It takes a bit of focus, and you're able to get them to line back in. So you can see now. You have a very distinct feeling, though, that 
nothing else can see you. You have a feeling like you are, if there were prying eyes upon you, you feel like those can't find you right now. In a magical way or in a, like, I'm actually invisible way? In a magical way. So grandmothers talked about this before and other druids and members of your of your group have, right? Where people are seeking to find a thing and then they can't be found. Where someone's wounded in the in the forest, the predators are hunting them, the orcs are coming, the ogre, but suddenly something happened and the, the enemy passed them by. Right. So where you're at right now is this you have this feeling like I was just being hunted, I was being sought for, and suddenly that person can't find me anymore. Is a almost an existential feeling of relief, I guess is probably a good way to put it. Well, yeah, I've been watched my entire life. Correct. What Fionn has at this point, this is a massive... I view this, and Emily, you tell me how you view it. This is a massive step towards Emily making her own very, very big, grown-up, big-girl decision. The Lamplighter has alluded to the fact that you're on a path, you do a thing... Emily, you have an opportunity now, in Brett's eyes anyway, where Fionn could start to behave differently if she wishes. Right. If you want to talk back to grandmother or do something like that, from my perspective, it's a good character beat if you wish to do that now. You don't have to, right. but I'm saying it's it's. I see it as an option, so I'm just telling you as a player that that's a thing I see as possible. Take it or leave it as you wish. Can I give a, a little a little Fionn backstory that might explain this choice? Absolutely. Go for it. I think I might have said this to y'all, but I don't think oh, it's been on mic. Uh, Fiona has a twin sister, Fiona. So uh, their mother is actually the he- head of the town guard and is very well respected. And, and Fiona is following in her footsteps. She became an adult at 15. And so Fiona, her entire life, has been the the younger twin, always struggling to catch up. And it's one of the reasons she probably took those two little twins showing up looking for Allison so hard. Yes, that's right. Fionn cannot surpass her sister with a sword or with a bow. Like, if you think Fionn's good with a bow, like, you should see Fiona. Now she has a gem for an eyeball. Yes, so sort of magical stuff Fiona has no clue about. So this is a way that she can kind of really come into her own because no one in her family is magical. So that's kind of part of this. Also, she's 18. (laughs) She's maybe not thinking long-term. I think it might be interesting if your character would start to have information that grandmother doesn't, because of the eye. Oh, she's gonna. Right. That's be some interesting uh, friction, potentially. To that point, attunement will take some time. There is an adjustment period as your body, your brain, and so on and so forth with with this magical items. So Fionn will... uh, put a hand on grandmother's shoulder and say, I'm fine, and stand up. Grandmother takes a step back. Now, grandmother, I see her, I see Fionn's statement there is very strong, and perhaps the strongest I'm fine uh, that Nora has ever heard. Yes. Grandmother did, in fact, take a step back. Got it. As in, hmm. I step over next to grandma real quick and go, every time I see that in a story, it's not fine. Just saying. I will turn to glare at Maris, except my pearl eye doesn't quite catch up, so it just very slowly comes. I just raise my hands up and like, it's just the way the stories go. Don't blame me. Blame the stories. All right, so we still have a lamplighter in front of us. Are we done speaking to this individual or no? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, I'm done after seeing what happened to Fiona. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't need any upgrades, and I already turned down some offers. Oh, I, I think we've had enough from it. Hope the eyeball was tasty. It smiles. It has a bit of has a bit of goo and still some wax between the needle-like teeth from before. It thanks you for the pleasant conversation. It hopes that things work out for you. And the tasty hazel eyeball. And remember, the lamplighter says in parting as it begins to walk away into the shadows. You have one of two paths that you have chosen. The hammer and the anvil, or the sorcerer. And it walks off. I can see why you try to avoid these creatures. They're really terrifying. Well, folks, what's the, um... I was going to say plan of attack, but we realize attack is a bad idea right now. So what's the uh, what's the plan right now? Uh, to go get a drink? Actually, that is the best damn idea I've heard today, Vassar. We're inside the Iron Wheel, and I am pouring shots for everybody. Yeah, what the hell? It's just us. Absolutely. You guys pour, you guys pour yourselves into the Iron Wheel. You've gathered around the bar. Vassar has pulled out mugs. Glasses, small ones, tall ones, and poured whatever anybody wants. And um, folks have found the, the most comfortable of chairs and have sat themselves down. When Vassar pours a shot, Grandmother taps the glass again as if make it a double. Fionn has never had alcohol, except for the sort of watered-down beer that you drink when you're afraid the water's bad. Got it. So this is fun. So one of the things I like to do is Game Master is kind of just take a second now. So <clears throat> we're in this beautiful quasi-downtime. The group is together. You're sitting around a table back of the Iron Wheel, kind of where it all began. The circle is closed, at least this very particular small circle, in about four days' worth of time. You've all come back together. We're drinking. We have a couple options in front of us. We have the um, Ergon, this, the ancient sorcerer architect of Avalon, supposedly we're believing is some sort of undead something or other. Living beneath Avalon, you have a map to Ergon. You all have also been told that the Hammerites, the very hardcore version of the Church of Odin, has the hammer and anvil of Odin, in which they could actually destroy it. They supposedly have the hammer and anvil? That is what the uh, lamplighter was saying, is that... I missed that the Hammerites had it. I thought the Church of Odin had it. Yep, the Hammerites. Violet was a hammerite based upon the symbolism that she that she wore on her chest with her uh, medallion and such. So the lamplighter has said, which is why I like to do this piece here, is that the hammerites are the ones that have the hammer and anvil of Odin. Yeah. That supposedly that destroys the box. The lamplighter also referred to the box as a gateway or a portal and shutting it totally and that type of thing. So referring to it in some way other than just a quote-unquote box as a, a thing that's beyond. So we could blow this thing up with a hammer and an anvil, or we could take it down to this mage. Mm. We go to the sorcerer. Fionn will uh, turn her shot over and put it down, as if daring somebody to challenge her statement. You know that doesn't actually destroy the box there, Red. No, but it contains it. I'm not sure I trust the Hammerites. There's no way we are going to be able to get that from the Hammerites. It's not just that we sold their high priestess. There are all sorts of other reasons they could want us dead. And we'll still be in the city and everyone will be attempting to get the box. I think I agree with Fionn that we want to dispose of the box as quickly as possible. If you want to come back and get the hammer and anvil... 
or negotiate for its use to destroy the box, although I don't know we'll be able to get the box back after that. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty simple. We just get the box to the anvil. We take the hammer. We hit the box. The box goes away. We don't know that. Which city are we in right now, Vassar? I know we're in Avalon, but we don't need to. We just get the box. The Hammerites, there's no guarantee. They might have wanted it to do something horrible to someone, something, with the thought in the back of their heads going, hey, we got the hammer, we got the anvil. If we need to, we can destroy it at the point we feel like we can't control it anymore. That's my concern. Just look at the way that Violet was acting. Yes, Emily. Uh, I would like to roll a persuasion check. Okay. Who are you trying to persuade? Uh, Vassar particularly. I feel like Maris, sorry, Maris, will go along with whatever Vassar does. Vassar, before we do this, I'm, I'm interested. Are you, do you have a strong feeling one way or the other, or are you, or are you just looking for a consensus? What is, how is Vassar's stance? Basically, how difficult, you know, are you like, fuck no, I'm not going that way, or are you like, well, I'm open to anything? Did, did Maris, I couldn't tell if Maris agreed with destroying the box or if Maris agreed with taking the box down under, under, underground. Morris would ultimately like to destroy the box, but what I don't trust is our ability to get it destroyed through the Hamrites, because I think that they want to use this box for something before they destroy it, if ever they do. I think the only reason they would destroy it is at the point where they saw it becoming a threat to them. I think it's like the guy who has the magic dancing sword in the story of Ilias, and the sword is fantastic, and it dances around and kills everyone. And then Ilias gets drunk, and the sword comes over and kills him. Oh, that's one of my favorite childhood bedtime tales. So you're like half a dozen one way, uh, six the other, Mars? No, I'm seven towards taking it to Ergon, five towards going to the Hammerites. I think trying to secure the hammer and anvil is either going to have to be a con job or a snatch and grab job. And I don't know how many layers of hammerites we have to deal with. Not saying that going down to Ergon is going to be easy, but it seems a bit more straightforward. Well, if you're split, then I am all for doing what the group consensus is. So let's go take the box to Ergon. I like taking it underground because it takes the box out of almost everyone's reach immediately. I'm down. I mean, I would like to see it eliminated from the world, but if we think this mage, and you're older than I am, grandmother, and your protege seems to think uh, it's a good idea, so let's go do that. Jump in for a second. Emily, I'm not trying to take a wind out of your sails with the die roll. I think, so I think, I think you're forcing the die roll, honestly, in this discussion has been really good, so. Right. Again, because we're recording this, I just want to say, you, you're saying, I'm, I'm trying to push a thing. Right. I think that's been really good because it's forced this discussion, so I think that's good. When Vassar... Uh, says that, says, like, your protege thinks that that's right. I'm gonna, like, lean on my right elbow and with my left hand just tap the temple near my left eye. Tick, tick, tick. Basically, like, yeah, I see where we need to go. Who am I to <laughs> deny you? Because, again, so many stories. Artifact. Yeah, true vision. Okay. I lean in when you do that right at you. I'm like, you know, I'm not that stupid or crazy to make a deal with a lamplighter. Well, then it's a good thing you weren't in my position. Kind of think I was. I just didn't do the stupid thing. And then I take my drink and walk away. I lean over to Rad. So, evidently someone's drinking some bitter wine tonight?
That's all for this episode of The Streets of Avalon. Tune in next time to see how they're going to get to Ergon, what other changes Fionn will go through, and how the rest of the group handles their new realizations. 